Let Me Tell You a Story, podcast number 60. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of fools. Never mind it is a truth how long it's been. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. We mentioned earlier that Southwest Idaho was buried under snow. Well, we've had a bit of a melt. And now some days we're floating in water and some days we're driving on ice. The good news is that we're getting a break from shoveling the white stuff. Winters here are normally quite mild. So we're all wondering what the rest of the season holds for us cold weather wimps. But I have to say the view out our windows about town and on the mountain have been beautiful. I've snowshoed a couple times with our daughter and with friends. We spent almost as much time taking pictures as we did snowshoeing. God's creation is gorgeous, no matter the season. But you didn't turn it, tune in to hear about Idaho weather. You're here for stories, and very possibly, to hear more of Michelle Netton's Make It Last, the fun detective story Steve started last podcast. He'll finish it today. I'll read just a little bit from last time. I hired you to find a reason to get rid of Marino. You didn't do it, but you've got the right idea. I'll whack him first and find a reason later. His laugh sounded like gravel sliding on glass. You're off this now, Sterling. Don't get in my way. I'm off it when I say I'm off it, Carlotto, I muttered to myself. He didn't own everyone, and I sure didn't like where this was headed. I left the study and started for the door. I heard Carlotto bark at Fritz to get the car ready. I drove out the driveway and waited down the street. Evening was coming on and the fall night was cool. Clouds were rolling in, making the air heavy as it hung around in damp blankets. I waited till I saw Carlotto's car go past. Then I drove back to the house and parked next to Lauren's car. Seemed like I'd just been here. Fritz wasn't going to let me in if it was up to him but I pushed past his penguin suit into the hallway. Lauren here? I called out loudly. A door opened and I heard footsteps upstairs in response. I smiled at Fritz. Thanks, I said. That will be all for now. I always wondered what it would feel like to say that. Above his black bow tie, his pencil neck was steaming a nice shade of maroon. But after he assessed how a tackle between he and I would end up, he turned and left. Smarter than I thought. By then, Lauren was coming down the stairs. She looked at me with ice in her eyes. So you've done it, despite my request that you reconsider. Compared to her voice, the ice in her eyes was warm. You're half right, Lauren. I did give it some thought. But I told you I couldn't renege on the job I was hired to do. Your dedication to your work is admirable, Mr. Sterling. If my father had told you to kill someone, would you do that too? Her sarcasm had a life of its own. Scary that she was more accurate than she knew. That wouldn't be a job I'd accept to start with. I see. You have an answer for everything, so if the job's done, what are you still doing here? 
I certainly have no desire to see you. That much I figured on my own, but I felt you should be warned, you and Marino. Warned that my father is going to forbid us to see each other? That's old news. And I wouldn't waste my time telling you something you already know. What I'm telling you is, Marino had best get out of town. Why? Has my father... Her voice trailed off as the light of what I was trying to say suddenly dawned on her. My God, you can't be serious. He hates Alex, but he wouldn't go that far. Not to his own daughter, would he? Looking at her face told me she already knew the answer. If you know how to get a hold of Marino, do it now and tell him to beat it. Tonight, your father's not going to waste time on this. This time, she listened to me. She crossed the few feet of distance between herself and the phone and dialed a number. She reached Alex and in a very few words told him her father's threats. I couldn't hear his response, but I could tell from Lauren's that he was taking it seriously. The whole transaction took less than two minutes. She turned to face me. He's leaving tonight. He wouldn't tell me where because he thought it would be best if I didn't know. I don't know when I'll see him again. Her voice was close to breaking. At least you have a chance at seeing him again. If he stays here, there's no chance. I stepped closer to her and then stopped. I wanted to say something, but I had no idea how to say it. I decided on the standard apology. I'm sorry. Once I took the job, I did what I had to do. I wish I'd known everything at the start, and then maybe I'd never have gotten involved to begin with. But my future-telling skills aren't that good, and it wouldn't have mattered. Your father just would have hired someone else. Despite all that, I hope Marino makes it. She looked steadily back at me for a long while. I still don't understand why you had to tell my father about us. Obviously, it's some personal code of honor. But I have to say, I don't sense any malice or ill will from you. I don't know whether to thank you or hate you for telling me what you did tonight. Makes two of us, I said, and turned for the door. I got about halfway there when she spoke again. Mr. Sterling? I turned my head back in her direction, but didn't turn around. Thank you. That was all she said, and it was enough. I left. Or at least, I was on my way out when Felicia decided to make an entrance. She walked into the living room, barely glancing at me. It was plain there was something else on her mind. You have business with Lauren? She said, as she saw Lauren behind me. Suddenly, my little sister's having men around. Where's Alex, Lauren? Really, Felicia, not tonight, Lauren said. I'm not in the mood for your comments, especially not when you've been drinking. Felicia ignored that. It's good to see you with someone else anyway, because Alex isn't interested in you. Would you like to know how I know that? I could see Lauren was mortified by her sister's behavior. Please excuse my sister's rudeness, Mr. Sterling. She's... Oh, Mr. Sterling may as well hear what I have to say. Maybe it'll interest him too. What is so interesting, Felicia? I asked. Nothing you've said so far qualifies. Her eyes narrowed a bit, but she kept on with her original subject. My sister thinks Alex is in love with her. Well, he isn't. He's in love with her money, though. The two of them went at it like I wasn't even there. I wished I wasn't, but Felicia was driving at something, and I wanted to know what it was. 
Felicia, stop it, Lauren demanded. You're drunk and embarrassment to yourself and to me. I don't have to defend Alex to you. I have no reason not to trust him. Felicia's laugh was cruel. Then let me give you one. Your little network of trust has missed a few facts. Alex not only won't be faithful to you in the future, he isn't faithful to you now. She walked further into the room. I know, she said pointedly, turning around. How could you know? How do you think? I watched Felicia as she flashed Lauren a slow, venomous smile. It took all the beauty from her face. Lauren stepped back as if struck. I don't believe you, she said. You're lying. Felicia sauntered slowly toward Lauren. Oh, it's true, dear sister. Your faithful little Alex is a lot of fun, isn't he? Stop, Lauren yelled. You're such a snake. Do you always have to take everything away from me that I love? Someone would eventually, so why not me? Felicia purred. All in the family that way. At least Alex has a real woman for comparison. I can't figure what it is with women out of control. I'd rather face a loaded gun. At least then there's nothing to argue about. I've rarely seen such cruelty as this displayed for no apparent reason. And when I have, it's usually been from a woman. Get out, Lauren said, her voice trembling. Get out! Finally, too late, Felicia obeyed. She left, the spikes of her heels pounding into the marble tile like her words had pounded into Lauren. I looked over at her. Her shoulders, before strained in defiance, were now slumped in defeat. She walked slowly to the couch and lowered herself onto it. I thought for a moment she might collapse. I had an impulse to offer comfort, but if there is comfort for such a moment, it is beyond my scope. I was watching a grief I had no right to see. I barely heard her when she spoke. I'm so humiliated. I'm sorry you had to see that. I crossed over to her and stood awkwardly. You don't have to be embarrassed for my sake. Felicia was completely out of line. I'm sorry for the things I heard. Not for hearing them, but for what they meant to you. I appreciate that, Mr. Sterling. What you don't know is that this is how it's been between Felicia and me all our lives. And my father, too. They've controlled me, never letting me forget my shortcomings. She clasped both her hands in her lap. For what it's worth, I think you're the only one in this family worthy of respect. You have real class, Lauren. The kind that's a lot more attractive than Felicia's brand of looks, believe me. Her smile was weak. Alex didn't think so, did he? It really is beauty that counts after all. I so hoped it wasn't. I thought character and charm might count for something, since beauty would never be mine. But now I... Her voice trailed off as she shrugged helplessly. I felt uncomfortable trying to offer consolation. Listen to me, Lauren. I knelt down so we were at eye level before I continued... A while back, you said you'd rather have a lie than the truth. But I don't believe that. If Felicia is right, Alex is a lie, and I don't think you'd want that. Where's that tough woman who knew what she wanted, no matter what? If Alex didn't choose you over Felicia, then he's a fool. 
She looked back at me with eyes that couldn't fight the tears off anymore. Beautiful eyes, actually, begging me to change the awful truth. The tears brimmed but didn't spill. Her voice was little more than a whisper. Thank you, Mr. Sterling, but please don't mention his name anymore. I know what you're trying to do. She put her hand against the side of my face while she spoke. The gesture surprised me, but I said nothing. Please go now, she said, removing her hand. I'm just tired. I stood up to leave. Call me if there's anything you need. I mean that. I left, cursing my involvement in this mess more than ever. So much for my belief in Alex. My alarm went off the next morning, jolting me awake from the few minutes of sleep I managed to get. It had been a restless night of too much thinking. Of Lauren. Of Marino. Of Carlotto. And sometimes of Evelyn. My wife, many years gone now. I loved remembering her. But sometimes I wish I wouldn't remember her quite so much all at once. Something about this case reminded me of her. Of us. Maybe it was just the sadness of it all. I turned the radio on just in time to hear the DJ cheerfully telling me that this was a new morning of a new day. Then why was I feeling like yesterday's mouthwash? I got up to face this new day. I showered and dressed, discovering I was down to my last pair of clean socks. That's always disturbing as it means an unavoidable afternoon of laundry. To turn down the noise of my mind working, I turned the television on. An I Love Lucy rerun. That was worse. I shut it off. My mind came back on. What I told Lauren was true. I'd done my job, so I was through with it now. Then why had I warned Lauren about Alex? Probably because I was sick of Carlotto buying and selling people like shares of stock. And because I'd finally seen firsthand what a scumbag Carlotto was. He'd set me up withheld information. And worst of all, he had no trouble deciding to be Marino's jury, judge, and executioner. This guy thought God reported to him. I had a hard time trying not to see myself as Carlotto's temporary appendage. Not a nice thought. I stopped at Millie's for coffee and eggs. A beer sounded good too, better than the eggs, but I didn't have one. I couldn't decide which bothered me more that I was passing it up, or that I wanted one at this hour of the morning. With that in mind and a cup of coffee in hand, I headed for my office. I wasn't going to think about the Carlottos or Marinos of this world anymore. I parked in the back and went in. I stepped across the pile of mail strewn on the floor and leaned back over it to close the door. I could smell stale coffee from the pot across the room. It was also something percolating in the trash can that needed to be evicted. I really ought to hire somebody efficient, female, and gorgeous to prevent this sort of thing. I went through the mail and emptied the trash. My answering machine told me Charlie had called. I called him back and he answered on the second ring. Yeah, he said when he knew it was me, sounding a little better than last night. I got the word that there's a hit out for Marino, the guy you asked about yesterday. I guess he got somebody good and mad. I said, yeah, he did, and thanks for the briefing. So Carlotto had really ordered it. 
I hoped Alex had moved fast enough last night. I'd thrown out the old stale coffee and was making some new stale coffee when my door opened after a brief knock. I looked up to see Alex Marino enter my office. So much for my resolve to get out of this thing. Sterling, I need to see you, he said. You're a lucky day, I said wryly. Here I am. He sat after circling the chair like a dog before laying down. Once he got settled, I said, Coffee? You look like you could use some. I poured him a mug. I thought you'd be on the next flight to Rio by now. He nodded distractedly. He was taking a big risk, both still being in town and accepting my coffee. His expression said he could use something stronger. Outwardly, he was quite dapper, dressed in tan khakis and a pale green and white striped shirt so starched it could have stood up without him. Clean-shaven, smooth, tan skin, blonde hair combed back, a walking advertisement for GQ. But that was just the surface. Underneath it all, he was scared. Scared to the bone. I've seen it before and I know the look. Thinking of Lauren made part of me think it served him right. I've a pretty good idea why you're here, but why don't you tell me anyway? I filled my cup of coffee again. I didn't know where else to go, what else to do. You know Carlotto's got it in for me, and that's nothing I know how to handle. All because of my relationship with his daughter. Which one? I said dryly. He stared at me like I'd suddenly started growing a second head. What? He finally got out. Lauren! Lauren, of course! I wouldn't want Felicia if she were offered on a platter. Yeah, I've heard otherwise, Alex, so let's just cut the crap, shall we? I smiled pleasantly and sipped my coffee. It was pretty bad. I added more cream. Get to what? I don't know what you've heard, and I don't care. I'm not involved with Felicia. He was looking me right in the eye. Bold move for a liar. Felicia's got a real different story. She dumped it on Lauren last night in full color after Lauren called you. Messed Lauren up pretty bad. Oh my God, Alex moaned. Then he stood and began pacing the room. His face was drawn and I noticed his clothes were wrinkled. They had served as pajamas, clearly. That witch, he exploded, clenching his fist. I can't believe she told her. Then it's true. I wouldn't mind rearranging your tanned face myself after what I saw Lauren go through last night. Maybe it's best she found out after all. Alex glared at me, his face drawn in agitation. He looked at me like I was a blemish surfacing on his clear skin. No, it's not true. You don't know everything. Okay, so tell me everything. He hesitated a moment before deciding he didn't have a directory of options and plunged ahead. I never wanted Lauren to know about it. I knew it would just hurt her and its history. It was with Felicia only once, and it was a long time ago on a night with too many drinks and not enough smarts, way before Lauren, and I regret it. I'd say it was over with Felicia, but it never even started. If she made it sound otherwise to Lauren, she was lying. She was lying, Marino, or you're lying. One of you is. Would you give me a break, Sterling? I'm telling you the truth. Felicia is a piece of work, and anyone who'd be with her is nuts. It was a stupid, drunken mistake. That was true enough. And strangely enough, Alex had all the appearances of someone telling the truth. Even good liars aren't usually this convincing. 
I thought of something else. Okay, so let's say I buy your explanation about Felicia. How about you explain your deal with Carlotto? What deal? The nice little arrangement where he pays you to spend time with Lauren. Pretty easy way to make money. Yeah, I did that deal with Carlotto, and I'd do it again. You know why? Because Carlotto's a lying, stinking dude, and he treats Lauren like dirt. So yeah, I took his money, and Lauren knew about it, too. We were saving it, and when we had enough, we were going to get out of here. Well, I guess he told me. Oh, I said. I kind of liked the idea of the two of them taking Carlotto's bucks, if it was true. Suddenly, I was feeling a lot more like a shrink and less like a private detective. Something wrong with the coffee? I asked. No, he said, but he looked down at the cup like vermin might be about to crawl out of it. Well, as interesting as all of this is, you haven't really told me why you're here. I need help. You were the only one I could think of who could help me. I don't know where else to go. Now Lauren thinks I'm involved with her sister, and I can't even talk to her and explain. There just isn't any answer. Forget it, Sterling. I was wrong to come here. Sit down, I said. You're driving me nuts with the pacing. You're right about one thing. You do need help. He sat, or rather slumped, back into the chair. How can you help me? He started to get up again. That's what I'm working on right now. Just let me think. And for heaven's sake, stay put in that chair. I sat at my desk a while with my feet up, thinking. Didn't drink any more coffee. I had a lot to think about. We have two facts to deal with, I told him after a while. One is that Carlotto's put the word out to plant you in the ground. Yeah, and the second fact, Alex asked. When Carlotto orders a hit, he means business. You're a dead man. Thanks, Sterling. So that's it? It's all over? Because there's no way I can hide from him. A third fact. You can't hide. So you're just going to have to be dead. I don't get what you're driving out. So far, I'm not in favor of this plan. You don't have a choice. Carlotto's hired someone to do the job. Right now, the guy's looking for you in all the usual places. When he doesn't find you there, he'll look again. You live alone? Yeah. Why? Good. We're going to your place. I'll follow you. We're going to my place? That's crazy. It's the first place they'll look. Yep. And they've already done it. So we're going there now before the guy circles back. Sure, it's a risk. But from where I sit, I don't see any other options. If he could have argued, he would have, and I can't say I blame him, but he didn't. I slipped a few items from my desk into my pocket, patted my Colt revolver to be sure it was still sitting comfortably in its shoulder holster, and followed him out. He lived in a second-floor apartment in a pretty good part of town, which was good for us. Carlotto's hitter wouldn't hang around here too long if he couldn't find what he was looking for. I climbed the outside stairway, and after assuring myself no one was waiting for Marino, I motioned him inside. There was still just enough daylight that we didn't need any lights yet. The place had a rented-as-is look to it. I doubted if any of the furniture belonged to him. He read my mind. This is my place, but none of it's my stuff, he said. 
and added grimly, I wasn't planning on being here long, and it looks like I was right. Got any beer? I asked. Beer? He stared at me incredulously. What do you want beer for? What do most people want beer for? I'll check myself, I said on my way to the kitchen. I took a detour and ended up in a utility room where I pulled a shade and double-checked the lock on the window. Not much chance of an entrance through a second-story window, but I wasn't taking any chances. I made a tour of the rest of the apartment, making the same checks, and finally ended up at the refrigerator. After scanning the shelves with no success, I was glad to see three bottles of beer stacked invitingly on the door. I opened two and walked back to the living room, where Alex was still standing where I left him. I handed him his beer. I can't believe this, he said. What, that I drink beer? It's not so unusual. Have one. I don't want one. You sure have a lax attitude about what's happening here. This is my life we're talking about. Yeah, it is. And where am I? Right here in the bullseye zone with you. So don't talk to me about lax attitudes. This is my plan and we're going to do it my way. If you have a better way, I don't know what you're waiting for to tell me about it. You know I don't have any plan. I don't even know what what yours is, he said, sinking into a generic-looking chair. Part of it includes having a beer. So drink up. I held up my beer in a mock toast and took a gulp. He shook his head, but took a drink anyway. With the shades drawn and the sun calling it a day, the apartment was almost dark. It was time to get ready. Alex had finished his beer and was staring stupidly ahead of him. He was scared, and I knew it, but there was nothing I could do except what I was already doing. I wasn't feeling overconfident myself, but he didn't need to know that. Go take a quick, cold shower. Emphasis on cold. No hot water at all. He'd given up asking questions. It was like the fight went out of him, but I knew better. It took guts just being here. He shrugged his shoulders on the way to the bathroom, and I heard the water start to run. A few minutes later, he emerged, dried, and dressed again. I hope that was necessary, he remarked. I'm freezing to death. Perfect. How much of Carlotto's cash you got stashed? Quite a bit, he said. We were almost ready. Well, you're still almost ready. He was standing in front of me. Here's part two of the plan. He looked at me blankly. I hated to do it to him, but I didn't have a choice. I socked him squarely in the jaw with an uppercut that put his 100 light bulb out immediately. He didn't even have time to look surprised. He fell backward into the chair he'd been sitting in earlier. He'd be out for a while from the punch, but just in case, the stuff I added to his beer would ensure he'd be out long enough. A little stream of blood was winding its way down his chin and onto his shirt collar. But that was just a scratch. I had bigger plans. I took his shirt off and set it on the armchair. I took a vial out of my pocket and doctored him and his shirt with some wet redness. I went down the hall and found a towel in the bathroom, which I wadded up in a roll. Then I took my colt, held the towel against it, and fired two muffled shots both into the front of his shirt in the middle of the red spots. I pulled Alex out of the chair, put his shirt back on, and let him fall easily to the floor in a natural slump, face down. Then I took the towel into a closet, put the two spent bullets in my pocket, 
and switched on a couple lights. Yeah, the light said. Alex is home, so come and kill me. I stationed myself behind the refrigerator, which was close to the door, and waited. There was only one door, only one way in or out. I hoped when Alex and I left here, we'd both be walking out the door. It wasn't too long before I heard stealthy steps outside the door and some fidgeting with the lock. I hadn't put the deadbolt back on. The door swung open in front of the refrigerator as the guy let himself in. I watched as he closed the door silently behind him and began looking around the room, gun in hand. I took a couple steps, but didn't make it far because he got a glimpse of Alex on the way. I heard a murmur of surprise as he went over and felt Alex's neck and wrist. Cold and clammy, just as it should be. He stood up, backing slowly away from Alex. He was about to turn and run when I stepped up behind him and held the barrel of my gun against the back of his neck, tilted upward toward the base of his skull. I cocked the hammer. A soft click reverberated in the room like a cannon going off. I've heard that sound against my head before, and I know just the feeling it gives. Suddenly, there's nothing else in the room or the world except you, the gun, and the hand that's holding it. The guy in front of me was no different. Hey, what's happening here? His voice said, not quite concealing its tremor. I'll ask the questions if you don't mind, I said quietly. But first, toss your gun behind you and to the right. Do it funny and the back of your head will be in front of you. He let the gun fall behind him, and I leaned my foot over and pulled it toward me. He started to turn his head a little, trying to get a glimpse of me. I jabbed the gun barrel against his head to discourage him. Just keep still. You move your head again, I'll empty it. Now let's talk. You're here to do Marino, right? Hey, you say you know, man. What? Shut up. I already know who hired you. He hired me too. Antonio Carlotto hired two men for one job? What, what, what kind of thing is that? He sounded puzzled and angry at the same time. The guy was youngish, but no amateur. If Carlotto hired him, he had to be good. But he was also scared. He knows I can do this solo. So why did he send you? He seemed to be professionally offended. I cut in. It's called insurance. It's a two-for-one job for me and none-for-one for you. What are you talking about, man? You haven't figured it out yet? You've been set up. Carlo just nailed you. What for? I guess you must have made him mad. I had two hits. One was Marino here, and he's done. Two was to take care of you. What? What? Listen. Wait, listen, he pleaded. Relax, pal. I'm going to do you a favor. Not because I like you, but because I don't like Carlotto. I'll let you walk out of here and settle a score with Carlotto on your own. Just one thing. Sure, man, anything. We never met. Got that? Sure, you got it. I don't even know who you are. If Carlotto dies, the contract on me dies with him. Is that the trade-off? I couldn't say. You have to figure it out for yourself. I'm not even here, remember? Who knew if he'd keep his mouth shut? I suspected he'd not be too thrilled to talk about how Carlotto had suckered him. How he dealt with Carlotto was his own personal business, too. I had to be ready if he didn't follow through, but maybe he would. It was worth a shot, for Alex and Lauren's sake.
I stooped down and picked up his gun. I unloaded the clip in the chamber and shoved the empty gun into his back pocket. I knew from the way he was standing there that he was really expecting me to do him. People can say anything, but a gun only says one thing. Beat it, I said. He went so fast he almost left sparks. I listened to his footsteps on the stairs and then heard a car start and peel out. He wouldn't be back this way again. I crossed over to the phone and dialed. I filled my mouth with what was left of the beer and asked for Lauren in a muted voice. When she came on the line, I told her to get over to Alex's apartment and to bring anything she wanted to have with her for the next few weeks. I told her charm and class had one in the end and that Alex would explain everything and that she would like his explanation. She had lots of questions, which I ducked, but she wanted to believe me, which was the main thing, so she agreed to come. I hung up the phone and stepped over to Alex. He looked awful. I had to shake him up and slap his face lightly a couple times before I got a groggy response. He sat up slowly, shaking his head, and then he moaned, holding the back of his hand to his mouth. What happened? He managed to get out. You were killed. I said, it's over. Carlotto thinks you're dead, or he will soon. Or maybe something else will happen, and he won't think anything about anybody at all. Best not to explain that part. It sailed right past Alex anyway. He'd sat up by now and was dazedly looking around. All I remember is taking a freezing shower. Hey! He looked down at the fake blood on his shirt. He touched the blood. Hey, this isn't real blood. He fingered the sore spot on his jaw where my fist hit. And, and hey, I just remembered you punched me. He said and looked up at me with a start of a silly grin on his face. With the fake blood all over him, he looked pretty gruesome, but I had to grin myself. Yeah, sorry about that. No choice. It's okay. You must have rigged something up. I guess I get it now, he said. Then the smile faded. Somebody came to kill me, didn't they? Yep, I said. And he thinks you're dead, so you'll have to split town. But you should be able to, and nobody will be coming after you. But what about Lauren? I can't leave without her. You won't have to. She's on her way here. You've got some explaining to do, but if you handle it right, you might even get some sympathy. He got slowly to his feet and approached me. I don't even know you, he said but I feel like you're the best friend I never had. I don't know how to thank you. I could pay you whatever you want. Nope. You keep Carlotto's money. You're going to need it. I paused for a moment and then said what was on my mind. Believe it or not, I loved somebody once. You and Lauren, make it last. That'll be thanks enough. He reached a hand out and I shook it. I will, he said. And he had that silly grin again, just like a man who's been delivered from a death sentence should have. I left, feeling not great, but better. Alex and Lauren would have a tough road, but they could make it if they wanted to. I was headed for Millie's for another beer. I thought about love's lost and love's won, but mostly about love's lost. Professionally, I blew the assignment, reneged on the job, But my lost Evelyn would have been happy with the way I played this one. And at least I liked myself a little, and that was good enough for me. I didn't do what I was hired to do, 
the opposite, in fact. But it might just be my best work so far. I'm going to read some more from Jeannie Kay's journal. She's a prison librarian. This first entry is called Prison Life. As the law librarian and I left the library one day, we saw this mama deer and her tiny fawn on the lawn. We see deer often, but this baby was just adorable. Some of the inmates have never seen such things since a lot of them come from the city. They are in awe. We had a lockdown one day. A couple inmates got drunk the night before. So we had to search the whole camp to try to find the stash of hooch, or jack, as it is called here, pruno in other places. The guys steal packages of sugar and yeast and then take fruit from the chow hall to make it. They usually put it in places or make it in places like the bottom of a waste paper basket in a common area. When we have a lockdown like that, all staff is put to work doing things like making sandwiches, searching cells and other buildings, called shakedowns and so on. I got to make out the shakedown slips for all the cells. One guy had 52 packets of sugar. Hmm. We found some interesting concoctions and shampoo bottles, etc., they strip-search the guys first and then send them to the gym while the units are searched. I have shakedowns in my library every couple nights. They think we librarians are not security-minded enough or we're too liberal. I'm not liberal, though. I want a couple cameras, even if they are dummies, so the inmates are not so tempted to steal stuff out of the library and or pressure my clerks <laughs> to give them this or that. That's called bulldogging. The fact that you always have to be so aware of everything is very stressful, and I am really tired by the end of the day. This entry is called Library Clerks. I was helping one of my clerks find information for college grants one day, and he was telling me he knew the Internet inside and out. And I looked at him. He said, well, I haven't been down that long. Can you imagine being in prison for a long time and then coming out to all the stuff we are used to these days? They can't use the Internet. It is only in our office, and they are not allowed in there. One clerk says he has seven kids from five or six women. His fifth wife is taking care of the children since he has custody. Do you believe that? Nah, me neither. I told him it was too bad he wasn't there with them. He's a very nice guy. I told one of my girlfriends about the book we had to read called Games Criminals Play. She remembered me telling her about what they call downing the duck. If you give them a pencil, then they want a cigarette, and so on, until they blackmail you with all you have given them, so you will give them sex or drugs. So she told me, don't you even give them a pencil. Well, I have this mechanical pencil in my desk, which I might as well throw away because I have no lead for it. One of the clerks keeps teasing me, saying I should give him the pencil. He keeps saying it is calling his name, which makes me laugh. Another clerk says, We can have those. You could give it to us. I said, You may be able to have them, but I can't give it to you. I also have a meth cook for a clerk. He is very proud of his ability to make meth and plans to go back to doing it as soon as he gets out. 
Believe me when I tell you money isn't everything. This guy says he wants for nothing, but he has no teeth from doing meth. And cooking it ages a person badly. He is serving eight years for his crimes, which include arms dealing. I asked him if he thought it was worth it, and he said, Yeah. The clerks know they have one of the best jobs in the prison, but somehow they just can't seem to help themselves from doing things that, like taking home reference books they aren't supposed to, and then they get caught and fired. The other librarian hates to fire them, so she often doesn't press charges or write them up, which makes the officers mad at her. So far, I have agreed with her decisions. I kept telling one young man to behave because I didn't want to lose my good clerks while I was gone to training. And sure enough, he was stealing from us and lost his job. I had words with one guy about his hat. And after he showed me that there was no rule against it, I said, as long as there isn't a rule, I won't enforce it. But since there is a sign on the door asking them to remove them, and I told him he didn't have to, now he does. This entry is 4th of July in prison. Since it is a holiday, and the prison provides special meals for the inmates and the staff, I thought I would go in early and have lunch. But I forgot that everything else in town would be closed, so I got there a bit too early, since I couldn't do my errands en route. I traipsed up to the softball field to watch the inmates play ball while I waited for lunch to be ready. Yes, the guys play softball in this prison, including a team that goes to town and plays in a town league. So I get up there, and there are a ton of inmates, probably all 500, and no corrections officers or any other staff for that matter. I was a little nervous, to say the least, and I was thinking, the other staff are probably wondering what the heck I'm doing up here. I knew there were cameras on the inmates, but if they had decided to do something like kill me, it would have been all over by the time they got there. On the other hand, it was a good thing, one of the officers told me later, that I went up there. It showed I was interested in the men and not afraid of them. He is all for building rapport between staff and inmates. One of the guys up there told me I sure picked an appropriate shirt for the day. I had on a flag shirt. Another guy told me he was new to the prison and he was a little surprised there wasn't even one correctional officer around when the guys had these lethal weapons in their hands. I did have a radio with me, and the inmates asked if I could radio and ask someone to get their ball that went over the fence on a home run. So I did. The perimeter officer came and got it for them. After about a half hour, I figured I had stayed long enough and went down and ate prison food with some of the kitchen staff. They had barbecued pork sandwiches, which were very good, coleslaw that I didn't eat, baked beans and chips, and ice cream, a big serving of it, the better to make the inmates happy, what with the pay cuts that went into effect on the 1st of July. So far, we haven't had any trouble, but as I mentioned, inmates have to work or go to school. They get paid because they must buy everything but toilet paper themselves. They have to have a phone card to call out. No running up their family's bills anymore, at least in this state. When there are any problems, there is a lockdown, and all inmates are locked into their rooms, and the staff has to run everything. There have been a couple incidents lately of inmates killing inmates at other prisons, a work stoppage, and a lockdown in the largest state prison, and one or two assaults. Again, I'm glad I am here. One inmate thanked me for coming in on the holiday. I didn't have to, 
but on holidays there are no classes and the library is well used, so we try to work those days if possible. I am doing some major library stuff anyway and wanted to get back, get into my office to get it back into shape for a minute anyway. We got some new books and I had to learn to put them into the library system so I could teach the inmate clerk who's going to do that. I also pulled some restricted books to make room for some new ones, so I have this bunch of books in my office to change on the computer. They will go out on the regular nonfiction shelves. My cataloger tells me they will probably get trashed, but I told him, if they do, then the men won't have any books, will they? When I do orientation and talk to the new guys coming in, he helps me and advises the guys not to tear the books up or they won't have any. I've also been redoing the video list. The prisoners watch videos in the AV room next to my office. I want to do so much right away. Next is weeding, inventory, and collection analysis. Some prisons have a lot more programs than we do. They make license plates at one of the medium prisms. The officials really are trying to give the men usable skills for when they get out. Of course, license plate making is probably not usable elsewhere, but they do do some sign making in that department too. And at other prisons, the inmates make furniture and refurbish computers. We had a TB quarantine here for six weeks, so we couldn't get any new prisoners during that time. But we just got 47 new men all in one day, and we'll get about 30 a week until we catch up. That is a lot of new inmates. That's going to do it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckylyles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.